Is this pew taken? <laughs> Shall we tithe together? <laughs> oh, these are classic. This one, just walk up and do the bold approach. Marry me. <laughs> That'll go over like a lead balloon. Here's another one. This is borrowing the wisdom from Solomon. Your hair looks like a flock of goats descending from Gilead. <laughs> Some more wisdom from the Old Testament. <laughs> Some more wisdom from the Old Testament. I'm going to ask you out, and if you say no, I'm going to tear my clothes, get in sackcloth, and rub dust in my hair. Oh, and rip out my hair and beard. That's another good one. Borrowing the wisdom from the Old Testament. Here's another one. So my parents are home. Want to come over? <laughs> These are classic. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of your last name, but that's cool. I can change that. <laughs> Here's one. So who's your favorite apostle? <laughs> you make me want to become a better Christian. <laughs> Would you like to join my purpose-driven life? And lastly, look, you're nearly 22. Most Christians are three years into marriage by now. Just settle for me. <laughs> All right, now, if you're in one of those unfortunate situations where, you know, you're with a person that you've been dating, and obviously this isn't for a married person, but you've been dating and, you know, you realize, you know, this isn't the, this isn't the right direction for me to go, I also have to give you some wisdom, some Christian breakup lines. Okay, sometimes you need some Christian breakup lines. You guys like this, gentlemen? All right, here's the first Christian breakup line. I'm sorry, I've just found someone more spiritual. Here's another one. I'm sorry, it, it, it's just not God's will. Here's another one. You know, when I'm with you, I feel like I'm dating my sister. <laughs> now, this is a for men only meeting, okay? And so anything said in here can and will be used against you in a court of law. So we. <laughs> All right, here's another one. You need someone with lower standards than mine. That is really low, man. That is really low. <laughs> Golly. All right, here's another one. <laughs> God loves me, and He must have a better plan for my life. <laughs> We're having too much fun at someone else's expense. And lastly, I feel called to the ministry very soon. And as far away from you as possible. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. <clears throat> I want to share a story with you. My, uh, my, my dad, when I was a younger boy, he used to watch a particular television, on so, television show pretty much every week. And it was a show called Dragnet. And uh, on Dragnet, they had a disclaimer. Does anybody remember the disclaimer? The story you are about to see is 
true, the names have been changed to protect the innocent. I'm going to share a story with you, and I need to do a disclaimer. I know it's not true, and I know it's not in the Bible. But it's probably the most accurate picture I have ever heard of the difference between not just a good man, but a great man. It's probably the most accurate picture I've ever heard of not just a good marriage, but a great marriage. Not just a good church, but a great church. That story goes like this. In heaven and in hell, there's a banquet table where people are seated and before them is a great feast. There's a strange dilemma, though, both in heaven and in hell, and that is the way the people must eat. <clears throat> in both places, every person has eating utensils strapped to their hands that they cannot take off. But the utensils are too long for them to feed themselves, for there's no way they could take food and return it to their own mouths. But in heaven, the people find the solution very easily. For with joy, they just feed each other and have a great time of fellowship <clears throat> as they serve one another and enjoy the feast that heaven offers. But hell is a much different place. The people in hell are so selfish they would rather starve to death than help someone else. Even though they have the same food available, they never experience it because they refuse to serve one another. That is probably the most accurate picture I've ever heard of the difference between not just a good man, but a great man. Not just a good marriage or relationship or friendship, but a great marriage, a great relationship, and a great friendship. And not just a good church, but a great church. Did you find that 20th chapter of Acts? This is <clears throat> the Apostle Paul's last meeting with the church at Ephesus. And he knows it's the last time he's going to see them. And we use an expression, he saved the best for last. Anybody ever heard that expression? He saved the best for last. It's kind of like Jesus in the 16th chapter of Mark's Gospel. It's the last time he sees you know, the disciples before he ascends into heaven. And he saved the best for last and he gave them the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the Gospel. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. In 1992, my mother went home to be with the Lord. And she met with each of her five children. I'm the youngest of five. And I have no idea what she said to any of my two brothers or my two sisters, but I will personally never forget what she said to me. She saved the best for last. These are the Apostle Paul's last words to the church at Ephesus in the 35th verse, where he said, I have showed you all things how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus. Now, I've noticed this. <clears throat> You'll find the word remember in Scripture strategically. And typically, wherever you find the word remember, it's, it, it causes a conscious action on our part. And if we don't you know, consistently, you know, on purpose, choose to remember what we're instructed to remember, the forces, pressures, and issues of life have already moved it out of us. And here he says, remember the words of the Lord Jesus. Well, he said a lot of things. What did he say here? How he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. In other words, it's more blessed to, by a conscious act, have things coming out of you towards somebody else 
than consciously expecting things to come back to you from somebody else. My wife, Jill, and I celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary in August of last year. And one of the things that I learned about my wife is who her favorite cartoon character is, and that's Peanuts, Snoopy, Charlie Brown. And a number of years ago, I you know, stumbled across Charles Schultz's philosophy. Charles Schultz is the author of the Peanuts comic strip. Listen to what Charles Schultz said. He said, I want you to do something. I want you to name the last five Heisman Trophy winners. He said, I want you to name the five, five winners of the Miss America pageant. He said, I want you to name ten people who have either won the Nobel or the Pulitzer Prize. He said, I want you to name the last half a dozen Academy Award winners for Best Actor or Best Actress. And he said, I want you to name the last ten World Series winners. Now, gentlemen, the interesting thing about these individuals is not one of them was a second-rate achiever, were they? Every one of them were the absolute best in their field. Or what they set out in their life to accomplish, they were the best. And yet very few people in this room even know who they are. And everything they set out to base their life upon has either already died or will die with them. Charles Schultz went on to say this. He said, name a teacher who really helped you. He said, name three friends who've helped you during a difficult time in your life. He said, name just one person who taught you something worth living for. He says, think of a few people who genuinely make you feel appreciated. And lastly, he said, think of five people that you enjoy spending your time with. It all boils down to this, gentlemen. The people who make the biggest difference in life are those who have learned what I call the lost art of serving other people the best. Not because it's easy. Sometimes the most difficult thing you will ever do is serve someone else. So we don't do it because it's easy. We do it because it's the right thing to do. <clears throat> One of the life lessons we've always tried to instill in our children, I have a 16-year-old daughter, a 15-year-old son, and an 8-year-old son. And one of the life lessons or principles we endeavor to instill in them is, guys, we don't do what's right because it's easy. We do what's right because it's the right thing to do. <clears throat> the legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers, Vince Lombardi, always used to tell his men, gentlemen, you don't do things right once in a while. He said, you do them right all the time. Someone else said, the time is always right to do the right thing. But I love a quote by a man named Alan Loy McGinnis who said, There is no more noble occupation in the entire world than to assist another human being. And there are not you know, very many truths more applicable to becoming a great person than that one right there. Let's go ahead and look somewhere else with me. Glad you, are, you, are you glad you still came to church today? Go with me to Philippians chapter 2. Let's notice something over there. Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, he founded the church. And here in the second verse, I'm going to read from the New American Standard Translation. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 2. The Apostle Paul says, Make my joy complete. 
by being of the same mind. In other words, he's saying, I want you to think like I think. He's a mentor to them, a helper to them, a teacher to them, an encourager to them, an exhorter to them. And he says, I want you to think like I think. He goes on to say, maintain the same love. He says, I don't just want you to think like I think. He said, I want you to love people like I love people. Then he goes on to say, united in spirit. I don't just want you to think like I think. I don't just want you to love other people like I love other people. He says, I also want you to be in unity with other people. Like I'm in unity with other people. Remember how good and pleasant it is for us to dwell together? In unity, sweet harmony, and love. But then he goes on to say something else. <laughs> he said, I want you to be intent on one purpose. Everybody say one. one. This ain't complicated. <laughs> he didn't even give us two. Everybody said how many? One. one. He said, I want you to be intent on one purpose. But I guarantee you, gentlemen, that one purpose, he says, to you know, make a, a purpose for your life will challenge you. It'll separate a man from a boy. It'll separate a woman from a girl. It'll separate a young, mo a young, uh, you know, a young man living in a big man's body. It'll show you who you really are. And it will force a paradigm shift in your thinking. You ever notice how when you read the Bible, it just forces you to think differently? And this definitely forces you to think differently. And it definitely reveals to us who we really are as men. He said, I want you to be intent on one purpose. Notice verse 3. This is amazing. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. He says, do not merely look out for your own personal interests. How many of you are married again? Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever had intense fellowship with your wife? <laughs> Do you realize that most intense fellowship we have with one another is the result of either one or both parties merely looking out for their own personal interest? The very thing the Apostle Paul challenges you to make sure you never do. He goes on to say, do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. You see, life changes when we choose to look through someone else's eyes. And then he says, let this mind be in you. In other words, it won't fall on us like ripe apples do off of a tree. We're not just going to wake up one morning and go, gee, I really think like this now. You know, how grateful I am. It's something that you have to force yourself to do. And at any point where he says, allow this mind to be in you, at any point in history, you can no longer allow it. You can refuse it at any, any point, at any given minute of any day. He says, allow or let this mind be in you. Well, now we have to clarify. Why should I have myself think like that? Paul, why do you want me to think like this? Notice he clarifies. He said, because this is the mind that was in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say in verse 7, He made Himself of no reputation. In other words, it didn't even come normally for Him. Right? It's something He had to make Himself to do, just like it's something we have to make ourselves do, 
Not because it's easy, but because it's the right thing to do. So what I've tried to do is set up daily rituals in my life that remind me every day I'm here for other people. Other people are not here for me. So one of the things that I do every morning when I wake up is I'll make my wife coffee. We lived in Sweden for a number of years and, uh, you know, very, very, you know, thick, heavy, <laughs> strong coffee is the way of life over there. And so we got accustomed to it. And so every morning, it, regardless of when I get up, when my wife gets up, I'll endeavor to make her a cup of coffee. When I'm on the road, like this morning, I sent her a text. Honey, here's your coffee. <laughs> and then I said, and there's ten white iris flowers and a clear vase. <laughs> to show her that I'm serving you. Now, I don't broadcast it. I don't say it for her benefit or my benefit. I don't say anything to anybody. It's something I've done to continually remind myself that I'm to serve others. Someone said, well, Brother Dean... That's scriptural. I said, really? They said, yeah, it's called Hebrews. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty lame, isn't it? <laughs> or be the first to apologize. See, I grew up in a house where my dad never apologized for anything. So I remember the first time I apologized, it was like gravel coming out of my mouth. I was wrong. Or even like my children. You know, I mean, <clears throat> you know the story. You know, there's three sides to, to every story. There's your side, the other fellow's side, and then the right side. Right. I remember when my daughter was a little bitty girl. And I heard one side of the story and overreacted. Only to find out the next day I was wrong. And I remember going and getting on my knees before my daughter. She's probably seven or eight at that time. She's 16 now. Saying, honey, I am so sorry. Daddy was wrong. I should have never spoke to you that way. Can you ever find it in your heart to forgive your daddy? Or my son Nick, now he's 15. <clears throat> Same thing. You know, you hear one side of a story. can typically overreact. I think probably most of us in this room can relate to that experience. Only to find out later I was wrong. What do I do with that? See, I never had that example of someone coming and apologizing. My dad was the man in the house. And therefore he was always right. Just because he was the man. And it didn't matter if he was in right field. It didn't matter if we caught him in right field. He was still right because he was the man. So without having this model to follow, it was very difficult. Son, I was wrong. Dad was wrong. I should have never spoken to you that way. Can you ever find it in your heart to forgive your dad? Oh, yeah, Dad. He's a very good friend today. My youngest boy, Austin, he's eight. First time I did this to him, he was probably four. Austin, Daddy was wrong. I should have never spoken to you that way. Can you ever find it in your heart to forgive your daddy? 
he just looked up at me with those big blue eyes and said, no. (laughs) 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 Something else. I do this every day that I am home. I do it religiously. I do it on purpose. I don't say anything to anybody. Don't broadcast it. Don't make an issue out of it. I do it for myself. My wife, you know, we like to eat together as a family, you know, around the dinner table. It's just, it's our family tradition. We always eat the dinner meal together. And so, you know, my wife, she'll maybe make the meal. My daughter will set the table. My son will clear the table. And so my responsibility is I'll get somebody or everyone in the family, whatever they're going to drink with their meal, be it milk or water or tea or whatever it might be. I do this every day. I do it on purpose, religiously, for no one else's benefit but my own. I serve my wife first. I serve my oldest daughter second. I serve my middle son third. I serve my youngest son fourth. And I serve myself last. I do it religiously every day that I am there to continually remind myself that I am here to serve them. Notice verse 7, Philippians. You still in that second chapter of Philippians? Notice this. Jesus made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Brothers, we were created to serve one another. I heard one fellow say it this way. True leadership always begins with servanthood. Now, I'm 48 years of age. I'll be 49 in December. I've been in full-time ministry. I'm in my 25th year. Well, in 48 years, you you see a few things. You experience a few things, and you learn a few things. Not everything, but you learn a few things. And one of the things I've noticed is that individuals who've never learned to serve almost 100% of the time will lead destructively. John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church, used to say this, every two weeks I have to completely rededicate myself to the things of God. But I love the Apostle Paul. He took it even further. He said, I die daily. Go with me to Matthew chapter 23. Let's notice something over there. I'm a man, but I can change (laughs) if I have to, I guess. (laughs) Notice over here, if you've ever studied commentaries or anything of that nature, you'll find most Bible commentators will say that... Included in this 23rd chapter of Matthew's Gospel are the most profound words the Lord Jesus Christ ever uttered. Jesus would say things that so challenged the the disciples following Him that sometimes they couldn't follow Him anymore. It just so upended how they thought. For example, you know, you've got, uh, who's it? Uh, The Sons of Thunder. Saying, let's call down fire from heaven. On them. Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're on. Or, hey Lord, when you come into your kingdom, let, let me be on your right hand and let him be on your, on your left hand. 
Or for example, Peter when Jesus bent down at his feet and took that bowl of water and began to wash his feet. It blew Peter away. He could not relate to that kind of thinking. Lord, I can't let you just wash my feet. Wash wash me. He so upended Peter's philosophy of living. Here in this 23rd chapter of Matthew in verse 11 are the most profound words scholars will say Jesus ever uttered. He that is greatest among you shall be your servant. The Phillips translation says the only superior one among you is the one who serves. I'm going to give you just a contemporary example of a lady, very small lady, very frail lady, and a relatively what you'd call unattractive lady by the name of Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Her life, even to her critics, demanded respect. Why? Because she was a nun? Because she was Catholic? Because she was a woman? Because she was small? Because she was relatively unattractive? Don't laugh. That's not funny. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'll get in trouble, man. (laughs) Why? What was it that was so unique about her that when she died, the whole world mourned? She was on every national news network. Why? Because she was a servant. There was a uh, reporter in Calcutta interviewing her while she was bathing a leper. And he said, I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. Mother Teresa said, neither would I. <laughs> I had a I had a privilege in my life and that was to serve in ministry with uh, an individual who I considered a mentor in my life and that was a man named Kenneth Hagan. And I traveled as a part of the crusade department of Kenneth Hagan Ministries from 1986 until 1992. And there were statements that he would make that I would have friends say, did you hear, you ever, you know, had a group of people and you're listening to somebody say something to you, did you hear him say that? You know, and then somebody else says, maybe Pastor Mark ministering, did you hear Pastor Mark say that? You know, and you go home, you write it down, and you'll tell somebody else, did you hear him say that? And it just so ministered to you. And so I would have friends say, did you hear Brother Hagin say that? I say, yeah, I heard him say that, but did you hear him say this? Well, yeah, did you hear him say, I heard him say that, but did you hear him say this? You see, sometimes what we do is we take this book we call Holy Bible and we capture the messages of the Apostle Paul. We capture the messages of Peter. We capture the messages of James. We capture the messages of John. We capture the messages of Jesus. You know what we do? We completely miss the heart that preached them. 
I asked you a few moments ago how many of you were married and most of you put up your hand. Have you ever said the right thing to your spouse in the wrong way? (laughs) Do you know you can say the right thing in the wrong way and the potential exists for the right thing to become wrong? We can capture the messages in this book called Holy Bible. You can capture the messages of Pastor Mark and completely miss the heart that preached them. And so I would listen to people, you know, talk about Brother Hagin. Like I said, I, you know, I use him as an example simply because he was a, an, you know, an influence in my life. Did you hear him say? That? I said, yeah, I heard him say that. Did you hear him say this? When he said, always let your motives be to help people. He wasn't saying don't take care of your family. He wasn't saying don't go out and get a good job. He wasn't saying don't go out and you know, do all those types of things. What he was saying is, always let your motives be to help people. Zig Ziglar said this, you can get anything you want out of life. If you'll help enough other people get what they want out of life, you get in, you can get whatever you want out of your marriage. If you'll help your wife get what she wants out of the marriage. Let's notice something else about the Apostle Paul. Go with me to First Corinthians chapter nine. You still glad you came to church, Shelma? This will challenge us, man. Really will. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. He says, For though I be free from all men. Listen to this guy. He's saying, I don't care what you think. (laughs) I don't care what you think about me. You don't intimidate me. You can't peer pressure me. I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of anybody. He says, I'm free from all men. But then he goes on to say this, Yet have I what? Made myself. You didn't make me. I made myself. Made myself what, Paul? Be the servant of all. Why? That I might gain the more. Listen to this guy. He's a pretty smart fellow. You think Apostle Paul is a pretty smart fellow? Listen to this. The more I serve, hmm, the more I gain. Hmm, let's break this down. When I serve, I gain. The more I serve, the more I gain. Therefore, remember, he's a pretty smart guy. I've made myself the servant of all that I might gain the more. You know what my daughter would say to that? She's 16. She'd say this. Duh! (laughs) Right? The more I serve, the more I gain. Therefore, I have made myself the servant of all. Wouldn't that include your family? Spouse, kids, neighbors, in-laws, outlaws, community, church, family. Those who make the biggest difference in life are those who have learned the lost art of serving others the best. Let's take family relationships. Who's serving or let's take the marriage first. Who's serving your marriage the most? They're making the biggest difference in that marriage. 
Who's serving the family the most? They're making the biggest difference, the longest lasting impact in that family. And unfortunately, when kids get older, do you know who when they get on television they always say hi to? She served the family the most. They make the biggest difference. Who's serving the community the most? They're making the biggest difference in the community. Who's serving in the church the most? They're making the biggest difference in the church. The reason I started to uh, do coffee for my wife every day is in listening to Brother Hagen, he would talk about how every morning he made his wife or Aretha breakfast. And he'd say, I always make her bacon and eggs. He says, I'll make two eggs, and if one egg looks better than the other one, I'll always give it to Aretha. And he says, I'll make bacon, and if one piece of bacon looks better than the other one, I'll quick eat that one and give the other one to Aretha. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't being recorded, is it? (laughs) He would talk about their sexual life. He said, I always do what pleases her. And then he said this, we always try to outserve one another. Are you listening to me, gentlemen? You see, happiness is not found in the pursuit of happiness. And life is not found in the pursuit of life. Both are found in the pursuit of serving someone else. Listen to this quote. Almost all unhappiness is the result of selfishness. When you walk into a room, do you say, here I am? Or do you say, there you are? I know, uh, you ever go to a parent-teacher conference? You know, where you're sitting there and teachers are meeting with all the parents and they're telling you everything they're going to teach your children that year? Anybody ever been to one of those? And so, you know, my wife and I are at the parent-teacher conference, and and there's like six different teachers that you meet with, maybe, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes per teacher. And so we were in the first class and the second class. Everything was good. And I got to the sixth-hour teacher, and I'm sitting in the front row in one of those little bitty desks that you've got to squeeze yourself down into. And right in front of me is this poster. And I I could not tell you one thing the teacher said, because all of my attention was just spend on reading that poster. Listen to what it said. If you want to be happy for an hour, go watch TV. If you want to be happy for a day, go to an amusement park. But if you want to be happy for a lifetime, go out and help others. Dr. Carl Menninger was asked, what would you advise a person to do if they felt a nervous breakdown coming on? And they all expected him to say, see a psychiatrist. (laughs) Listen to what he said. Lock your house, go across the tracks, find someone in need, and do something to help that person. Listen to this one. Life is a lot like the game of tennis. Those who don't serve well end up losing. Isn't that classic? So we've seen some... You know, spiritual stuff, let's get a little bit practical. What are some simple things I can do to serve others? We talked about this one. Admit it when you're wrong. 
I was wrong. Apologize when you've done something wrong. That can be really difficult for a man to do. Really difficult. Here's another one. Forgive someone when you've been wrong. Do you realize one of the greatest gifts you can give someone is complete forgiveness? Have you ever have you ever looked through the lost passages of the Bible? <laughs> have you ever read your Bible and you found a passage and you go, I didn't know that was in there. I call them the lost passages of the Bible. <laughs> Check this one out. Proverbs 19.11. you got to read this one for yourself. This will challenge you. Proverbs 19.11 says, The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. I'm going to read it to you in Bible and basic English. A man's good sense makes him slow to wrath, and the overlooking of wrongdoing is his glory. I thought, look what Jesus had to overlook in order to minister to people. Or here's, here's a passage that's not so lost, but sometimes it's frequently not remembered. You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate your enemy. Matthew 5, verse 43. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless those who are cursing you. Do good to those that hate you. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. He said, for if you simply love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? Be therefore mature, even as your Father in heaven is mature. Here's another one. Go the extra mile. You ever heard that expression? I was ministering in Omaha, Nebraska, and I had a guy come up to me. He goes, Brother Dean, have you ever studied the second mile? I, I never had. It was just kind of like an expression, you know, that you've heard. And never, you know, thought about it, but not in a serious context. He said the second mile was in relation to the Jews and how they were treated by the Romans. He said what the Romans would do is they treated the Jews like slaves. And he said they would march them <clears throat> in a single file line down the side of the road with Roman soldiers marching beside them. If a Roman soldier set his pack down beside you as a Jew, you were required by Roman law to carry that pack one mile. Now look at me. Jesus said, don't carry it one mile. He said, carry it two. It sets you free from the law. It's amazing. Go the extra mile. Here's another one. We've heard it in terms of you know, evangelism. Turn the other cheek. I used to hear... Brother Hagin say sometimes you just have to let things run off of you like water does off of a duck's back. He said many men have the backbone of a jellyfish. He said they need to develop the backbone of a crowbar. You know what's interesting? In our culture, 
I call it the culture of professional venting. <laughs> I mean, you turn on a TV show and you'll just have people screaming at each other. Professional venting. And people are really good at it. Just yelling and outbursts and everything. The whole culture is built on weakness in these areas. And so in our culture, these qualifications are considered character flaws or weaknesses. And yet it is these very qualities that separate a good man from a great man. That separate a good marriage from a great marriage. A good friendship from a great friendship. A good community from a great community. A good church body from a great church body. I'm going to close with a quote by Sam Keen. He said, You come to love not by finding the perfect person, but by seeing an imperfect person perfectly. And I like to add, through the eyes of a servant. Let's bow our hearts, gentlemen. Just for a moment. Lord, we just want to thank You today. I want to thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your presence. So grateful that you just reach down into a room like this and you speak to men about their lives. Some cases, the best in them. Other cases, you're saying, you know, we can do better. And so maybe sitting here this morning, you see, you know what, I can do better. And maybe there have been some barriers. A blockage, you could say, towards a relationship with somebody else. Do good to those who hate you. Do good to those who persecute you. Pray for those. Love your enemies. Father, we can all do better. And I thank You this morning. I ask You to minister to each gentleman in this room. Things when they leave this room this morning, they can do better. Do differently. Maybe it's a phone call to the wife. Honey, I'm so sorry I was wrong. Maybe it's a phone child to a parent. Gentlemen, I've seen men out of relationships with their dads for 20 plus years. Make it right. not worth it. To take the daughter out for lunch. Honey, I'm so sorry. I haven't treated you fair. I've been wrong. I want to be a good daddy. Sweetheart, I want to be a good husband. Son, I want to be a good example to you. I'm so proud of you. You mean the world to me. You're a great son. Father, thank You for today. And help, help us encourage each other in these areas. And be there for one another. And serve each other better. Father, I thank You in the name of Jesus Christ.